Welcome back, everyone, to season two, episode six of the Loaf Podcast. Today, we're honored to be hosting Mike the Vegan. He's an online educator and YouTuber with over 350,000 subscribers, and he's working to dispel myths about nutrition and health as it relates to veganism. Mike, thanks so much for coming on with us today. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's, it's cool to talk to somebody across the pond. So yeah, just to, just to break the ice before we get into the meatier questions, so excuse my pun there. Um, <laughs> I, Ollie and I were watching uh, a few of your videos um, earlier, and I was, I was kind of struck by your hair routine. So I, w- I wanted to ask you, what, what do you do? Do you find that being vegan makes your hair healthier? My hair? Well, it's funny because I do honestly usually have crazy hair and curly hair and I don't really know how to take care of it. Like right now, I, I'm almost like, should I just put a hat on? Because it's just like poof town over here. And I've had I've had comments of like, hey, uh, you know, there's vegan shampoo, right? Like <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so it depends. That's why that's why usually I keep my hair shorter. But right now I'm like, why not just grow it out? It's getting kind of puffy and it's just always been it's just always been a thing like I went to like a smaller private school where you had to have like neat hair and I would come to school every morning as like a 14 year old and my teacher would be like go to the bathroom and wet your hair because you look insane (laughs) so I've just like learned to live with it thank you yeah if you don't mind we're gonna get into uh start to begin a little bit um do you want to tell us a little bit about how you became interested in the science of veganism and how your education uh educational path might have influenced that um, how I just became interested in the science in general. Well, just going vegan, I was super skeptical. And I was like, I, I don't need to go vegan. I had my partner who's vegan. And I was like, I can go mostly plant based. And it just took so much research and data to convince myself that I was looking at over and over again. And eventually, when I finally was like, I guess I won't wither up and die if I don't eat fish occasionally, or, you know, I won't lose all my muscle mass if I don't eat animal protein, even though I was like 30 pounds lighter than I am now, which is really funny that I was concerned about that. So I did all the research on those things and I finally went vegan. And then just when I would talk to people, I would just kind of spew in the same stuff that I read that turned me vegan in terms of the research. And then a few people were like, hey, why don't you start a YouTube channel and say what you just said? Because that sounded interesting. And so I eventually did that. And then I just finished my master's in public health like a week ago, which is <laughs> about wow, time. Congrats. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Wow, that, that's interesting. And, and kind of building on how you moved into the YouTube sphere, what was that journey like as a YouTuber? Because obviously, even we're now in this kind of podcasting media world, and to kind of grow and gain a following is obviously very difficult. Mm-hmm. How did you find that rise to popularity? Well, I started, and this is something people should know if they want to start a YouTube channel, is that the first few videos that you post are going to get basically zero views. I think I had less than 10 views on the first four or five videos that I made. Mm -hmm. And then I maybe got like 20 or 30. And then uh, another YouTuber by the name of Happy Healthy Vegan, it's actually a couple out of Long Beach, California, Ryan and Angie, they posted a video response I did to another vegan YouTuber, Unnatural Vegan, who we just have a long history of disagreeing with. Like (laughs) it's it's sort of fun and sort of frustrating, Um, but they just gave me a shout out and I got up to like 200 views and I was like the most excited I could ever be. And that was like, (laughs) that was like, I've made it (laughs) 200 views um, from them just sharing it on Facebook. And then over time, I don't know what happened by the time I went out and visited them, I had 7,000 subscribers. So I think that was like maybe nine months of, of just like posting regularly and really trying to stay on top of topics that people actually wanted to watch and taking requests. 
and and just doing my brand like forming my brand which is just like making sure that there's a lot of science backing everything i claim every claim i make and then you know have it you know just keeping chill with it and making jokes and and not taking things too seriously is definitely the only reason i'm still able to do it at all but i think that was that was sort of my first my first four or five months was doing that yeah thank you that's some pretty good advice because i'd say we're still in sort of that phase of trying to work up and feel like we have a mm. brand that is sort of accelerating at a fast pace we're still getting there yeah it's really but, um, hard because it feels like you're just throwing things into the void you're putting a yes, ton of work yeah. into it i actually got to a point where i'm like i guess this is just my personal video journal it's like i'm taking notes that i can easily reference later and then thankfully some people started watching i guess that's the best way to view it mentally really is to be like right we're doing it for ourselves yeah, we don't care what other people yeah. want but yeah we do for sure it's not about the views it's about the journey along the way <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think we'll, um, if that's okay with you, we'll move on to uh, topics about veganism specifically now. We're going to get a little bit more into the nutrition in a second, but could you just tell us, since that's kind of the classic thing is there is so many, what's the most common vegan stereotype you hear that annoys you? I think the most common one is just that you're automatically going to preach, especially in real life, because it's like, yeah, I am getting on the internet and I am quote unquote preaching about veganism, but like most people probably don't know I'm vegan unless it comes up in a food situation or they're like asking about what I do. And sometimes even then I'm like not in the mood to talk about it. I'll just be like, yeah, I have like a plant-based YouTube channel. Cause I've already like specifically put vegan in there knowing that there's going to be a bunch of backlash just to my screen name at all. But I'm like, I don't want to hide being vegan and be like manipulative and like make it seem like I'm not vegan to try and get people to listen to me. So I'm like, I'll just put everything up front. But yeah, in real life, uh, that's definitely the most annoying thing. It's like, they're like, oh, here it comes, a vegan. Now they're going to like talk to me. But it, it's just everybody of every ideology and any conflicting ideologies constantly think that they're preaching to each other or think that they will. It's like a fear that they're going to preach to each other. And there are vegans that do it. There's meat eaters that do it to vegans. Um, it's just people trying to change people for the better or like, influence the world i don't know it's it's sort of an interesting phenomenon that that's really interesting and kind of building on that because i do feel that at least some of the vegans i've met are to a certain extent judgmental for other people's decisions in terms of taking the moral high ground my, my question kind of is like if you don't know someone's kind of background and maybe they're, they're struggling in one way or another would you kind of condemn them um where where it might not be even possible for them to go vegan I don't think that it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible for anybody to really go vegan. I have videos about like the genetics and stuff. I know there's social situations where it's harder. There's financial situations where it's harder. And that's why I just look at like a spectrum of like, there's people, the chunk that I focus on is the people that can pretty easily go vegan. They don't really have, like, they might be interested in it. They don't have like a major excuse. They're not like a single mother of five that <laughs> is like, just like totally underwater in a bunch of emotional issues and stuff like that or emotional burdens like that's not the person that i'm trying to like go for even though it's weird to say like i feel like if i you know if we can just reach a point where all of the people who can easily go vegan go vegan then all of a sudden um you know we might have b12 in the water supply because so many people are vegan and then anybody can easily do it without having to worry about stuff you know way more food availability and things like that as I feel like there's like some tipping points sort of like that. And then there's, there's people that I know will just never do it. And so I'm relying on lab grown meat to come out so that there isn't as much animal uh, murder, <laughs> destruction, all that stuff. So uh, that's, that's my view. Mm. Oh, uh, that, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's super interesting. Um, 
in terms of the social situation that you mentioned earlier um, my family and I we tried to be vegan for about a couple months and we found that it wasn't actually that enjoyable and not financially viable as in like you do have to pay sort of top dollar for some good quality stuff so in in your opinion how financially viable do you think veganism is and how do you how do you compare that with sort of enjoyment hmm, i think it goes it cuts a few ways i mean there are situations where you know there's there's that family there's like an article on a family who went vegan and then saved enough money to do a like a full family trip to greece but there's all these vegan specialty products that people like think they want or that people are really gonna want they're gonna want like the mock meats and the mock cheeses which because a the supply of those is lower they're a specialty product so they have a major markup even if they shouldn't be that expensive like for example if only a few people ate meat if only five people five percent of people ate meat in the uk for example meat would be insanely expensive and going on a non-vegan if everyone was vegan if you were to flip it if going on a non-vegan diet would become really expensive because the fun fundamentally plant-based foods should be cheaper because there's less, you know, in terms of feed conversion ratios, there's less inputs going in. And then I don't know about over there, but in the US, we have a ton of subsidies as well. And so the the price of meat is definitely manipulated downward. And then it's also the situation where the cheaper foods that people are eating that have meat here are, you know, highly processed, fast foods, et cetera, that are not healthy. So it's like, it might be a little bit more expensive to be eating the healthier foods, or you can eat a really a way cheaper, more whole food based vegan diet that create that takes more preparation. And in that sense has a cost. And that that's, you know, the, the, the flip side of that. But um, either way, there's going to be an expense, you know, whether you're somebody in the US who's going to Burger King and McDonald's and, and never cooking, or, you know, buying processed meats, there's a health risk to that, which of course, at least in the US here, we'd have major health costs <laughs> for you guys. Um, you don't personally take that on. Obviously, society does. More people are sick. So it's a complicated issue. But again, there's multiple and there's even some some like surveys that do show that a, a plant-based diet is cheaper, but it's not the plant-based diet that you were probably eating. You're probably going in and and getting like the, the things that you really wanted to replace, like the mock cheese or like the cheese wheel and uh you know the specialty mock meats and that's unfortunate because those could be really cheap as well right like subway here they cut 50 percent of their chicken breast with soy to save money right and so it's just a matter of any any small specialty project product whether the base ingredients are actually cheaper are going to be more expensive so it's annoying to say that it's harder because it's more expensive because it's just a result of how society is currently formed and how the markets are formed, not necessarily how the raw inputs are valued, which makes me frustrated. But yeah, I think there was a study that showed that, at least a survey that showed that uh, people on plant-based diets save $750 a year. We can look at it. You can look at what type of food people are eating. I'll maybe send it to you guys. Um, so it's it depends on where you are, what you're eating, et cetera. Um, yeah, linking back to soy and linking back to um, other common vegan stereotypes, um, people have used the misconception of uh, soya as raising uh, estrogen specifically, phytoestrogen levels, which has led to um, the common internet term of soy boy, um, which is used mm -hmm. within internet online, you know, debate bro spaces. As a nutritionist, how would you, um, how have you worked to dispel such myths? Uh, well, first of all, I should say I'm not actually a nutritionist. I'm just a, a you know health researcher. I'm a master's in public health now, but um, I don't want anyone to think I'm some type of like professional. I'm not. Um, but as somebody who's sharing nutrition information, sharing nutrition sure. studies on soy, yeah, I have a video called you know does soy cause man boobs? A busty myth, 
or myth busty. I can't remember what it's some stupid joke. <laughs> um, but we can see just from the studies over and over again, even if you take the soy isoflavones, which is that phytoestrogen, you concentrate it to a thousand times what anybody's going to get. You're not actually going to be raising hormones. Um, and the joke is that if it did actually, you know, grow boobs or whatever, then it would be a supplement that women were taking. Um, but there's, it's, it's not true to say that there is absolutely no hormonal effect. The idea is that phytoestrogens are a very weak estrogen that can actually go into your estrogen receptor. So for men, it's probably not going to have any effect at all, but for women who have high estrogen, there are balancing effects. So it essentially goes into that receptor to, you know, some of the receptors and prevents the way higher powered estrogen from, from overdoing it. And that's why we see, you know, over and over again, that soy consumption is associated with lower breast cancer. Cause a lot of times that's just a result of maybe excess estrogen over someone's lifetime. So we have several studies showing that, um, you know, one with soy and hot flashes lowers that in menopausal women, but there, there doesn't seem to be any studies showing anything on soy and fertility. Uh, so I am actually manipulating blood levels of hormones in, you know, men or women, uh, you know, it's not going to lower testosterone or increase estrogen. So I can send you guys the studies on those, you know, the meta-analysis on that, on like, again, a thousand times what, what would be eaten. We've, for whatever reason, we've ad adapted to be able to consume some on like animals, like sheep are way more sensitive to it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's super interesting that even with a thousand times the amount of soy that somebody would actually eat, it, it still would have basically no effect on a male's estrogen. And yet it's such a common thing. The soy boy time talking about yeah. sort of that kind of stigma and all those different kinds of things. What, what do you think are the best ways to reduce stigma in veganism as a lifestyle? Um, I think with that one, I, I think there's, there's usually just an antidote to whatever the claim is. So like if somebody is really concerned that somebody going on a vegan diet is going to like make them feminized or whatever, then show them some, some vegan bodybuilders. I mean, obviously I'm not a bodybuilder or anything, but I, when I first went vegan, I was only 145 pounds. I don't know what that is in kilograms. You can look it up, but now I'm like 175 or 180 and definitely way stronger than I ever was. And so for me, it's like people that know me, at least they're like, oh, well, you look like better and stronger now. Um, so that's like a point I can use a little bit for people that I used to know. But you can always just send somebody like Nimai Delgado, IFBB Pro bodybuilder or or Patrick Baboumian who slams down soy and can carry like, I can't remember what is his, he just like yoke lifts several people. I think it's like 1200 pounds. Again, I'm just throwing out, <laughs> throwing out uh, the wrong units here for you guys, but you know, quote unquote world record there. It's a unique lift, but he has the world record for it. And, you know, Kendrick Ferris, the only male weightlifter to make it to the Rio Olympics was, was a vegan for the U S team. So there's a few of those that you just can't really argue with once you hear that. <laughs> anyway, that's my answer. What do you say to the sort of highly masculinized like myth about eating meat? You know, people like Liver King or Joe Rogan, perhaps. <laughs> but what do you say to people like that? And what do you think their sort of potential harm is? To vegan? Well, ironically, both of those people are on anabolic steroids <laughs> half a minute <laughs> at a time. It's like, it's kind of funny how, how far they're able to take that masculinity thing. You know, I've done, I've done some videos touching on meat and masculinity. And, you know, I do think it's kind of a shame because from an ethical perspective, it's like, oh, the masculine thing is to like prey on these animals who are like confined in these tiny little cages. And like, that's not very masculine in my book. But then also physiologically, you know, all this saturated animal fat over time clogs arteries and then the smallest, most vulnerable artery we 
one of the smaller, most vulnerable arteries we have in our body is your penile artery. Oh. So that can lead to erectile dysfunction. I've had several dudes actually come up to me at, at VegFest or whatever. And they're like, I wasn't vegan. I saw your erectile dysfunction video. You know, I went on a, like a more whole food plant-based diet. And like, now I can get a, now I can get it up again. <laughs> like what? Thank you. I think that's, that's that. one of the, yeah, what? Yeah. Thank you. I think that's going to be really helpful for my colleagues to uh, hear about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, not that like everybody has erectile dysfunction, but it, the percentage is like at 40, 40 years old, 40% of people do 50 year old, 50% of people do. And it's something where like, there's younger people that get it. It was a younger dude who came up to me. He was probably like late twenties and was like, I had erectile dysfunction. Now I don't. And there's a few things that can happen. It can be directly clogging or it can literally be artery function can just go up. You know, we, we can see like artery dilation improving on plant-based diets and stuff like that. So at least it's 25% within this room. I know. <laughs> and <laughs> Moving on quickly, uh, yeah, just since we touched on Joe Rogan, you've made some mm -hmm. videos critiquing Joe Rogan, for example, uh, with his video with Russell Brand. I saw a particular video he had with this uh, guy called Ted Nguyen, who said that vegans kill more animals than mm -hmm. uh, meat eaters. Uh, do, you, do you agree with that? You obviously don't, but how would you argue against that claim? <laughs> yeah, obviously don't. Um, yeah, it's I've, I've done some sort of response videos to that, and I really need to do just a focused one on that. But... There's a few studies to me that are convincing that that's not the case. First of all, they take like extreme cherry picked examples that are like, if you have this appeal to nirvana or perfection situation, where you have like a single cow in a field and that field has, you know, never been deforested and there's no animal input there. Like you're just killing one cow compared to your field of grain where you're slaughtering a million mice. Well, first of all, they're the best study we have on the topic actually radio collared some mice to see what would happen as the harvesters come and they just run out of the way and then they come back. So in terms of the combined harvester deaths, that's not a thing. There are some studies though, showing that, you know, if there's a, you let the ecosystem become imbalanced and there's an infestation, and then you're going to be blasting these animals with pesticides, then you're going to get a higher death count or yeah, then you're going to get a higher death count. And then that's the one study that they cherry pick to apply to like all <laughs> of the agriculture. But perhaps most importantly is that all of these animals are fed plants you have these, you know, massive, even if they're grass fed, they're actually harvesting these massive hay fields. They're deforesting for that. I mean, the, the leading cause of deforestation, I can send you the paper about, you know, 80 to 90% of Amazon destruction is clearing land to graze cattle. It's the leading cause of species extinction. I can also send you a study on that if you want it. And so we have, you know, from several angles here, we have all of these plants being killed for animals. So if you're really afraid of plants and the same thing goes for, if you think plants feel pain and you're really concerned about that, you know, we have just going back to that feed conversion ratio, which is really something that everybody should be aware of is that in order to get a unit of animal product out, you need to put in several units of plant inputs. And so you can just trace that back and see that, you know, in the, in the U S at least nearly half of our land, we're talking mostly growing plants is used to feed animals in terms of the lower 48. So you can just cut, you know, take half of that land and imagine that all, all of the slaughter deaths on there or all of the harvesting deaths, plus the slaughter deaths of the animals directly then has the, a really large input compared to, for example, some tofu, which is gonna have a lower input. And it's just true, the vegans aren't perfect. There's gonna be some slaughter deaths. And, and I can tell you right now, if the vegans took over farming, they would be, their main mission would be to lower that or responsible for that. So. That's my answer there. Thank you. Yeah. So since we've just been talking about your interaction with other creators like 
Joe Rogan, I wanted to talk about kind of your most recent and maybe one of the more controversial ones, Cosmic Skeptic. Obviously, we talked about it just before okay. we started recording, how I met him in real life and had a discussion before. But um, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about uh, some of the problems with Cosmic Skeptic's conversion and how you think they can be solved? Um, so why he quit? Yeah, he points to uh, essentially an IBS sort of, uh, I hate to just like be like, here's his poo-poo problem. But um, he... <laughs> Seems that he has the situation where he he sort of has like bowel incontinence and um that's more or less connected to his emotional state but then also he felt that you know the diet you know eating more fiber and stuff like that would make it worse and he does still say he does still say that you know a health a vegan diet can be healthy and uh you know he's still eating a bunch of plants and and all that stuff so i'm not like as far as like ex-vegans with crazy stories of like eating a bite of fish and healing all their ailments. Like I'm not like angry at him. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, he's got his, he's got his problems going on. I just don't, I'd have to really, really talk to him to know what's going on. But from somebody who has also done a lot of like presentations and being in front of people and getting afraid and like feeling like they need to run to the bathroom or like what I was probably where you found that out was that I, I had a rock band was mm -hmm. me talking about all of the lead singers going and like crapping themselves before battle with the bands. <laughs> um and uh that's where i was kind of first aware of that and so you know that's something i feel like if he's able to tackle that from you know maybe like a psychological perspective cognitive behavioral therapy i put a bunch of different you know potential solutions in the video if you want to watch it um whoever's listening but i don't have all the answers for him you know he's every everyone who puts a vegan diet has their own you know unique situation I do think that he could go back on a plant-based diet and, and, you know, be working with a gastroenterologist uh, like Angie Sidegi, who works with people with gut issues to like ramp up different types of fiber and just eat in a way that is not going to be causing as many digestive issues. And, and it's just, I just really like to hear that somebody at least tried to go to a professional or worked with a nutritionist. I didn't get that from him. He just went up. Oh, I guess I'm just going to quit because of, of the reasons he outlines in his video. And so that's my, that's my brief nutshell answer. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nutritionists and all that sort of thing aren't necessarily available to everyone. I think for Cosmic Skeptic, maybe it would have been. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, nutritional myths and all that kind of thing are one of the biggest contributors to people not going vegan? Or do you think there's more to it? And it's just sort of personal taste well, and stuff? There's going vegan and then there's quitting vegan. It's funny because you're saying that you're, you and your family went vegan. Um, and one of the more recent studies from Phonolytics said that the main reason that people quit is actually a dissatisfaction with food or a slash craving for non-vegan food. Mm -hmm. And so that is where I'm like a little bit frustrated because the main, the main issue isn't even, it wasn't even health issues that people that were forcing people to quit. They, it wasn't even the need to see a nutritionist. It was just the idea that, you know, perhaps late at night when you're out on the town, you start craving the most calorie dense thing possible and you want to run to the hot dog <laughs> you're off the wagon and you're like i'm already off the wagon i might as well just just give up and so that's that's hard because again that's the way society is set up like you have all those dense foods people are also raised eating these calorie dense animal foods that's going to be their craving the same way that like some a vegan who's raised vegan is going to be craving french fries or like a vegan hot dog or fried vegan chicken um so it's kind of hard to get out of those like those general norms, but for people actually going vegan, um, I don't necessarily think people need to see a nutritionist. However, I do think that everybody, regardless of their diet, would benefit from talking to a nutritionist. That's why this isn't a vegan specific thing. I mean, I always say people should hop on like a nutrition tracker, like Chronometer or My Fitness Pal. 
just to do a couple days. I mean, I say this for people when they go vegan, but I would even say people that aren't vegan just to see what they're missing and, and, you know, what comes, what nutrients come from what foods and how many calories are people are eating in certain foods. Cause that is a problem. Cause the, the reality is that most people are, have some major flaw with their diet, whether they're vegan or not. And, you know, in the case of the U S that's probably going to lead to premature cardiovascular death. Um, in the case of people going vegan, you know, thankfully now, you know, study after study after study is showing no increase in B12 deficiency for vegans, but, you know, a few years back, not being aware of that could have led to a B12 issue. And so, you know, it's no one's perfect and there's problems for every diet, but we need to acknowledge that it's not like vegans only need, only vegans need nutritionists. Everybody else doesn't. And, and so that's, that's my view on that. On the topic of dissatisfaction, um, I mean, I guess it could be a reason for people not going vegan could also be a cultural thing. You know how how meat dishes are entrenched in a lot of like Asian cultures, for example, or African cultures. Uh, what do you say to people who sort of want to break out of that but find it difficult? I guess this also ties into um, family as well and fa familial pressure. What, what do you say to people who are a bit too scared to sort of turn to veganism because of that? Because of their cultural background? Yeah. Um, I have yet to meet, I have yet to witness a culture where there isn't somebody who's done a job of adapting it to a vegan diet. And, you know, they're really creative. And I actually do, you know, with my, my friends, I do a potluck every couple of weeks of a different cuisine around the world veganized. Mm -hmm. And we've done, we've actually basically like run out of the world. Yeah, we're not probably not going to do Inuit. You probably could, which would be like straight meat and maybe some berries. Um, but, you know, we've done... This, we've done Southern US, which is like some of the meat heaviest stuff. We've done all pretty much every subtype of Asian food. Um, you know, we'll do sushi, which of course is known to have fish. Um, we've done, I mean, just we've done African. We've done the two different types of South American or, or Native American. We've done Caribbean. I could just go on forever. And then I've seen, I even did see an Inuit vegan person who's like, who, who talked about how they veganized their Inuit diet. And so- that's not really popular to do, but I have yet to see any culture where it's like, this is the tr cultural trump card where it's like, I can't go vegan. Yeah. Is it going to be a little bit harder with a more meat-based diet? Uh, probably. But then I also go ahead and say like, with that, what's that cultural inertia versus perhaps again, one's health. If we look to the Inuit, I keep talking about the Inuit, but they have the highest rate of atherosclerosis in their mummies before they were modernized of anywhere on the world. So you can see... <laughs> I mean, it's a trade-off. They also, it might be also financial or socioeconomic, but they die like 10 years earlier. So the question is, is there an aspect of your culture's food, which yeah, it's part of your culture and it's served your culture in the past, but is it still serving, you know, one's health in the present time? How do you weigh that? And it is just hard with family. If you want to just talk about family in general, that's, that's something that is honestly hard with almost any major life decision that goes against what the family does. I mean, anybody you know, who doesn't take over the family business might get some flack or, or coming home and being vegan. Uh, it can be frustrating. Thankfully, I had a really open family uh, to it who eats at least like mostly plant-based now. And so I'm not the best one to ask about major family challenges. I have gotten in like tiffs with some sort of more extended family members or like significant others of family members, which have been a little a little bad, but you know, what can you do? it's it's gonna happen politically uh, or some other way anyway yeah, yeah um so linking to developing countries um how do you react to how uh developing world is um are, like, exploited to grow 
um, the farm soya or other vegan based products? Um, you know, how do you reconcile um, the fact that um, I guess many agricultural workers who farm uh, uh, vegan products are exploited? Um, you know, um, and also with degree of monoculture involved, um, is soy farming or is farming within developing countries, is it sustainable? Mm. So, yeah, soy, I mean, that's, it's funny because the question often becomes about soy, but vegans just consume such a small amount of the soy. And if everybody went vegan, we'd actually be growing a lot less soy mm. because again, that feed conversion ratio, you know, we're talking about you know, one of the main drivers of Amazon destruction is soy but humans aren't eating that soy it's going to cattle so that's a huge huge portion of amazon destruction and so if you were to actually calculate the number which i can't do off the top of my head uh, we would be lowering the amount of total land in developing nations that would be growing soy we'd be lowering the total amount of land that would be growing food at all a vegan diet uses you know depending on the estimate there was a carrying capacity study in the journal elementa i believe that that put the vegan food pr footprint at one eighth of the standard food footprint. Mm -hmm. So you still want to be funding uh, developing world food, you know, agriculture, but you could essentially not even, not that you would get rid of it, but theoretically in terms of land usage, you could get rid of it. However, I, you know, we want to keep economies going and we want to keep paying people. Um, ethical abuse of, of workers is, you know, that's, that's a huge issue across, you know, every industry, I hate to say, even freaking cobalt for for uh, our batteries and stuff um so i i wish i had an answer for that it's it's beyond even just a vegan issue i don't think it's fair for vegans to say i'm or i'm just not hurting animals as much so i don't need to worry about um human human rights violations i did do a video on uh vegan for human rights was the title of it and there's you know i talked about like the slavery and the shrimp uh industry in southeast asia and stuff like that so there's, you know, there's a lot of issues with animal agriculture workers as well, like slaughterhouse workers getting PTSD, not to like deflect on the question. But um, I do feel like, again, just because you have a smaller total food footprint as a vegan, you're hopefully having a smaller human agriculture worker imprint as well. I wish I had a solution for human rights <laughs> atrocities right now. I don't, but hopefully we can work this yeah. out in the future. Thank you. So I guess... You are an expert uh, or you're catering towards nutrition-based issues. And we've asked you a lot about veganism in general, maybe just to restrict the scope a bit. Uh, you talk, we've talked a lot about, oh, it's okay to be vegan so far, but what are some specific health benefits which you can get from being vegan? Something where you'll see uh, like a big positive uptick. Hmm. Well, I mean, it depends on what your issue is. I mean, right off the bat, we see like in the US, like half the people are pre-diabetic. But vegans in general, from the Adventists, we know that they have about 78% lower risk of total diabetes. And, and so that means that people who are going, going on a plant-based diet and working toward the direction of having diabetes or having type 2 diabetes, like they're going to see an improvement. High blood pressure, again, is like 60 to 75% lower in vegans from the Epic Oxford and the Adventist studies. Uh, you know, there's, there's ones that people would like to say were higher, but from a meta-analysis on health outcomes, 15% lower cancer, which I mean, I'll take that like vegans aren't going to be invincible, but that's huge. And then of course the heart disease stuff for me, I mean, that's what turned me vegan largely in the beginning. Um, just the, the trials that we have even plant-based, like with a tiny bit of yogurt, like Ornish's study showing, you know, two and a half times lower 
cardiovascular events in people with heart disease or Esselstyn's whole food vegan diet, which actually was fully vegan, just stopping heart disease in its tracks with people with severe heart disease who had had heart, heart attacks and strokes before over a 12 year period. I mean, things like that, you cannot compete with, with any other diet. And that's the leading cause, the leading killer across the world and in the US now, thankfully that COVID has died down. And then speaking of COVID, you know, even just a, a moderately a plant-based diet that isn't even fully vegan, we see 73% lower odds of moderate to severe COVID. And that's from the British Medical Journal, large study on six six countries. And so whether it's immune system, whether it's cardiovascular system, you know, your your <laughs> glucose functioning and stuff like that. I mean, I can't think of an area where it's really not going <laughs> to help, um, especially if you're eating about, you know, you got to be eating a balanced diet, like anybody should be not just going and doing full like orange mono meals, like people on a fruitarian diet have been, have been known to do. Um, and then, yeah, you're going to see a bunch of other benefits. I mean, kidney function as well. We had a recent study come out showing better kidney function and, uh, you know, chronic kidney disease risk is likely going to be way lower. Um, even thyroid, like we have lower risk of hypo and hyperthyroidism. Um, and all of those, all of those things are largely from the epidemiology. So, you know, maybe you could, you know, they try to adjust for, for exercise and stuff like that. Maybe some of it's from that, from just being healthier. But if, if people who are going a vegan diet, this is part of being healthier as well. Like that's, you know, it's a win anyway. And then mortality is one I would love to see more studies on the trend, 15% lower mortality. Um, but we need a larger sample size to really see how much, how much less vegan dying that there is, which hopefully there is. Um, but either way, like, even if you're just as healthy in my book and then having a lower animal imprint and a lower environmental imprint, major win, like that's huge for me. So yeah. name another I, health area. Maybe there's one you missed. <laughs> I, I tend to agree with most of what you said, which is, um, which is my issue then. Part, partly comes to the term vegan in general, which is this kind of putting everything on the one umbrella of non-animal products. Um, and I'm sort of of the opinion that each product should be evaluated separately. And this this brings me to my question uh, in terms of, for example, shellfish farms and the sustainability there, where there's no land use, no freshwater use, no fertilizer use, and in fact, cleans up the surrounding water. Um, and mussels, for example, are incapable of forming thoughts, incapable of experiencing pain, um, how does this kind of, how does eating shellfish, for example, how would that be acceptable for a vegan, for example, but avocados, which cause so much damage to the environment and harm so many bees often use so much, um, so many gallons of water. How are these two squared together in, in your eyes? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to really, that, the quantifying suffering is really hard to do. And so we have to, you know, you have to be looking at the nervous system and you can't, we can't really know how much suffering. I mean, for example, those, you know, those shellfish or whatever, you know, when you're talking about a shallot, they have nerve ganglia. They don't have the same type of central nervous system that we have. You know, they're feeling something, they're responding to stimulus, right? Like, you know, instantaneously, are they having some deep level of suffering? I don't know to what degree they are. I just say, I'd rather not directly say like, yes, I will pay somebody to kill that animal just in case there is some degree of suffering there. Yeah, they might be the lowest on the totem pole, but you know, until I don't know when we'll have the technology to be able to, or if we'll have the technology to be able to like plug into the whatever level of consciousness a shellfish has, I don't know. But it is the case that yes, insects do have a, a nervous system that does lead to, or that that is central and can suffer. So it's hard to know what's the exact, you know, insect death 
count for a certain type of food. And it's also, again, I don't want to say like you're, oh, you're appealing to Nirvana. You're wrong with the situation with um, the shellfish. But to say that there's no impact, you know, we're not complete, you know, you'd have to actually study that system in the same way that people probably have studied these, these avocado farms. And then there's also, you know, bioaccumulation issues can be really big in, in shellfish because they literally are filtering the water. That's why they're beneficial for the ecosystem. I want them to be there, but, you know, they, they can pick up those, those toxins, perhaps some, um, you know, heavy metals, depending on what, what area it is. And then also, I'm not quite sure if they're, one, they're ones that accumulate BMAA, which is a neurotoxin from cyanobacteria, which is why we see these sort of like the lake effect of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease that uh, Stephen Hawking had around these lakes because this, this toxin can, can accumulate. That's like one of my reasons for not just for just staying away from seafood in general as the BMAA risk. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question because if you're to say, you know, you know, trolley problem or whatever, you have one where it's like, you're killing 10 bees or one oyster, you know, if you're a vegan, which one are you supposed to choose? We don't really have that exact choice. It's sort of, sort of a generalized choice. If we did, then it would become a different conversation, but um, we don't know the actual death count of an animal per avocado, but we do know that an animal is dying as you're slurping, like every oyster you're slurping, you're, that's an animal that you directly, that, you know, a vegan would view as being directly chosen to be killed by you. So I mean, it's hard. It's kind of like, it's also becomes a utilitarian argument versus, uh, I guess you would say a deontological argument of like, is it socially okay to, to say, yes, I, I will consciously kill an animal versus, you know, I, I might accidentally kill some animals in the progress, in the process of, of sustaining myself. Um, one might even have a higher death count than the, you know, in some situations, the vegan, you might choose one with a higher death count, but I think overall vegans are choosing a way lower death count across the board. We can find a, a perfect situation where they would have a higher death count. But, um, you know, I would say if you're going to be like somebody who's just eating all animal products versus somebody who's eating only oysters and fully plant-based diet, like that would be less suffering for sure. But, well, thank you. That's, uh, it's quite, it's quite a convincing argument. And that was one of the things I've been recently struggling with in terms of benefits and, and, and uh, negatives of, of veganism in, in a philosophical sense. Um, something else, which cosmic skeptic kind of mentioned to us when we spoke to him was this idea of, of mental health. And I'm just curious about if you've read any studies around that, the, the mental health uh, risks of going vegan. And if you um, were speaking to someone who, who said, Oh, I'm really struggling with my mental health. Veganism has affected my mental health badly. Would you morally kind of find that um, as as acceptable? Yeah, the mental health thing is interesting. Uh, I I <laughs> I think it's also extremely interesting that a re recent study just came out showing that vegans had lower levels of depression, and that the mediators in the study, I think it was out of Germany, averaged a slightly depressed score actually. So it's we had these vegetarian studies, which were actually funded by the meat industry, showing showing that vegetarians had some higher levels of depression. And yes, it's possible. Is it causal? We don't know. But that kind of got everyone thinking, okay, vegans, there must be some nutrient that vegetarians and vegans are missing that will make them depressed. Um, and I was even like, when those came out, I was like searching for it, like, maybe is there something here? And um, I was looking like, maybe it's, maybe it's creatine. Uh, no, maybe it's, uh, you know, the DHA, which can't, you know, omegas can have an effect. But then we see the studies coming out acts because those studies weren't looking at vegans specifically at all. They, the vegan, the name wasn't even in the study, the, the, that type of diet. And so we have this more recent one I can send you guys out of Germany. And we also have other ones like Neil Barnard's workplace trial where mental health 
actually improved. I do believe though, any diet where someone's increasing processed foods that can lower their, their mental health situation. But in Neil Bernard's study, he's doing like a more whole food vegan diet and people's mental health, like that bar went up as in terms of better from baseline. And so if you're actually looking at the vegan studies, it's not trending in that way. There can certainly be uh, an effect, you know, there's going to be people who are going to be depressed at certain times and not, you know, maybe someone goes vegan this summer and then it's winter and they get seasonal effect disorder and they go, it's because I'm vegan and they quit. Maybe there is a particular situation where somebody goes on some type of vegan diet that does make them depressed for whatever reason, not getting enough food, you know, not getting vitamin D or something, but the trend seems to be from the German study, which I think is the highest quality study that we have on the topic so far of actually looking at vegans, they're getting less depressed. So that's interesting. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's my answer, oh. I guess. So it's a hard one. Yeah, it is a hard one. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that's um a really good note to end on, actually. Veganism <laughs> makes you less depressed would be sort of the clickbait title. Well, the most recent study, I believe yeah. I believe it was out of Germany. Uh, yeah, who knows what the next one will say. But yeah. Mental health, just keep 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 in keep it in check anyway. Do whatever you can. Yeah. Um, see pr mental health professionals. That's the one thing I will say is that somebody who's vegan might be more alternative and less likely to see a mental health professional and think, I'll oh, just solve it, less likely to go on medication, things like that. So we that's some, that's the last point I'll make. We do need to think about that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd just like to know if you had any concluding thoughts for the end of the podcast. Ooh, concluding thoughts? Well, I guess we'll just go back to like starting up doing some some type of social media having some type of social media presence i would just say keep it up guys like i've been exactly where you are and it's you know you're putting all this work in and it can just be like uh, uh why am i not getting a million listeners or views <laughs> it's like oh, just do it <laughs> do it anyway so thanks for having me and and that's awesome that you're doing something and so keep it up thank, thank you so much thank you, thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure